Well, believe it or not, but today marks the first Sunday in the month of September. Believe it or not, but in less than four months, Lord willing, we're going to be saying goodbye to 2022 and hello to 2023. And as we swiftly approach the final quarter of the year, if you are part of this church family, I have to ask you, have you been doing it? Have you been keeping up with it? Have you been keeping up with your daily Bible reading? If you are not keeping up with your daily Bible reading in Luke and Acts, then I want to, I want to encourage you to not do something. I want to encourage you to not give up. I want to encourage you to not throw in the towel. I want to encourage you to make sure that before you leave today, you get you another copy of the daily Bible reading schedule and just jump in right where we are. Forget the book of Luke. That time has passed. Jump in right now and just start reading the book of Acts with us. Jump in right now and just start reading with us Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 is a very exciting chapter in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8 is a chapter that focuses on a disciple that maybe we don't talk about as much as we should. You see, so far in the book of Acts, Luke has been telling us a lot about the significant work of various disciples in the kingdom of God. He has told us a lot about the preaching of Peter and the preaching of Stephen and the appointment of Matthias to be an apostle and the generous giving of people like Barnabas. In fact, at the end of chapter 7, the last chapter we just read, we even introduced the Saul of Tarsus. Remember, Saul of Tarsus will go on to become the great apostle Paul. Saul of Tarsus will become a huge focal point in the book of Acts once we get to chapter 13. There are just so many different characters that Luke has already introduced us to so far in the book of Acts. In fact, in this chapter, Acts 8, Luke is going to move away from focusing on people like Peter and Barnabas and Stephen, and he's going to focus on a disciple named Philip. He's going to focus on the work of a man named Philip, the evangelist. Go back to where the scripture reading came from this morning that Brother Stan read to us from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. And Acts chapter 8 and verse number 4. And Acts 8 and verse number 4, after telling us about the death of Stephen in chapter 7, how Stephen's death really motivated and launched out Saul of Tarsus on a mission to try to destroy and stomp out the church. After telling us about this persecution led by Saul, in Acts 8 and verse number 4, it says, Therefore those who have been scattered, this is the church being scattered because of persecution. Therefore those who have been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. I want you to notice the name of that man, Philip, that is mentioned in verse number five. That is the same Philip that is first mentioned in chapter six and verse number five. 
That is the same Philip who was appointed by the Jerusalem church to be a deacon and to be over the work of caring for needy widows in the church. That is the same Philip who had hands laid on him by the apostles and was given miraculous spiritual gifts. That is even the same Philip who later on in Acts we learn had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses and they also were involved in the work of God. It is this Philip that Luke makes the focal point of the events described here in Acts chapter 8. It is this Philip that God is going to use to do some amazing things in the kingdom of God during a time when the church is experiencing an intense level of persecution. In fact, I believe that when Philip's actions in this chapter are studied very, very carefully, we learn some critical things about his heart. We learn some critical things about his character. We learn some critical things about the kind of heart and the kind of character that God expects us to have if we're going to be authentic and genuine and real disciples in the kingdom of God today. For example, when we study these events, when we study the actions of Philip very carefully in Acts chapter 8, one of the things we're going to see this week is we're going to see that the heart of a true, genuine, and authentic disciple is one that loves all people. It is a heart that possesses love for all people. Look at Acts chapter 8 and verse number 4. Again, after telling us about this, this persecution, this great persecution that was led by Saul of Tarsus, it says in verse 4, Therefore those who had been scattered, the church is scattering at this time, they went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to the greatest, were given attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God, and they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they, when the Samaritans believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. There are several observations that I want us to make from that particular text. First, notice how during a time, during a time when Saul of Tarsus is leading this great persecution against the church, during the time when Christians are being persecuted, the text says, that the church continued to work. The church continued to spread the word of God and preach the word of God. The church continued to do the work of evangelism. They were not crippled by, by fear. 
They were not crippled by fear at this time. Philip especially is not crippled by fear because Luke tells us that as the church is going through this intense level of persecution, he does something that 99.9% of Jews would not have done at this time. And that is he traveled to Samaria. He traveled from Jerusalem to Samaria for us to really be able to appreciate what Philip is doing here in Acts chapter 8. It is important for us to pause for a moment or two and say something about the people of Samaria. You see, the people of Samaria had a very troubled history. They had a very controversial history, one that actually began with the people of Israel going into Assyrian captivity in 721 B.C. You see, after the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into Assyrian captivity in 721 B.C., the poor Israelites that were allowed to stay in that land, well, they started interacting and intermarrying and intermingling with the Gentiles who had been dumped there. This led to offspring. This led to children and more children and more children and more children. In fact, over the course of time, these children or this offspring became known as the Samaritans. They became known as the Samaritan people. You see, the Samaritan people were a combination of Gentile blood and Jewish blood. And the people who were full blooded Jews could not stand them. They hated them. They, they absolutely despised them, and they despised them. You ready for this? Because of race. Because in their eyes, they were nothing more than a bunch of half-breeds. They were nothing more than a, than a bunch of mixed-race people. They didn't deserve to have their association because of the Gentile blood they had in their bodies. Do you remember how the Apostle John told us about this in John chapter 4 and verse number 9 when telling us why it was such a big deal for Jesus to travel through Samaria in his ministry and even talk to a Samaritan woman at a well? The Apostle John said this, the Samaritan woman, when Jesus starts talking to her, she said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman, and then John asks this so we can really understand what's going on here. He says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Here we see that even in the time of Jesus, way after the Assyrian captivity, there was still hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. Here we see that even in the time of Jesus, the Samaritans knew that the full-blooded Jews wanted nothing to do with them because of their Gentile blood. They wanted nothing to do with them because of their race. You know what that means? That means that this issue of race and racism and prejudice and people looking down on other people because of the color of their skin, that is not new. That's not a new issue. That's not a new problem. That's not something that we've only had to deal with here in the United States of America. No, brothers and sisters, we can read about this in the Bible. 
This is a Bible problem. This is something that you can read about taking place in the Bible between the Jews and the Samaritans. It took place between the Jews and the Gentiles. It even took place in the church in Acts chapter 6. Do you remember that in Acts 6? Remember, remember in Acts chapter 6, we read about this controversy in the church. The Hellenistic Jews were upset because they felt the native Hebrew widows, they were not being overlooked in the daily serving of food, but their widows were. They were upset because they thought their widows were not being given proper benevolence. I submit to you that at the core, uh, at the core of that issue in Acts chapter 6 is racism. It is the charge of racism. It is the charge of racism in the church. You see, Philip, one of the first deacons in the church, he already had experience dealing with racism and prejudice being used as a tool of Satan to try to hinder the work of God. In fact, the racism that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans in the first century is extremely important to emphasize to really understand what he's doing in Acts chapter 8. During a time when racism was alive and well between the Jews and the Samaritans, Philip takes the initiative to take the word of God to them. Philip, as a Jew, takes the initiative to proclaim Christ to these people. Philip, as a Jew, takes the initiative to go to these people with the words of eternal life and the message about salvation found in Jesus. Philip does that because he knew the truth. He knew that Jesus loved even the Samaritans. He knew that Jesus even died for the Samaritans. He knew that Jesus even gave his life as a ransom for all for the Samaritans. Isn't that what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 6? In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 6, the apostle Paul says that Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. The word all there would include even the Samaritans. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, Peter says that it is not God's will that any person perish, but everyone, all people be brought to repentance. The word all there would include even the Samaritans. And then, you know, the most familiar verse in the Bible, John 3, verse 16, where Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The word world in that verse would include even the Samaritans. You see, all these verses are telling us the very same thing. They're all telling us that Jesus gave his life for all people. Jesus loves all people. Jesus died for all races of people. Philip in Acts 8 we see he really believed that. He really believed that with all his heart. He really believed that God sent his son to die and be a ransom for all people. Philip did not care about race. Philip did not care about the color of somebody's skin. Philip did not care if the Jews were going to look down on him because he went and took the gospel to the Samaritans. No, Philip was a man, a Christian man who truly had no racism in his heart. He had no prejudice in his heart. He was just like God. He had a heart like God, a heart that was no respecter of persons. He didn't just want the Jews to be saved. 
He didn't just want the physical descendants of Abraham to be saved, but he also wanted the people who the Jews couldn't stand to be saved. He wanted the Samaritans to be part of the kingdom of God. He wanted the Samaritans to be part of the church. He wanted all people to be part of the church. He wanted these Samaritans. Later on, we see that he wanted a sorcerer, Simon a sorcerer, to be part of the church. And then later on, what do you see? You see, he was an Ethiopian eunuch, a man from Ethiopia, to be part of the church. Philip truly had a heart like Jesus, didn't he? He had a heart that truly loved and cared about all people. He wanted to be a vessel God used to bring all people unto the Lord. And here's the question. The question is, what about me? What about me? I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. What about Sean Jeffries? And a country that continues to talk about race and, and racism all the time. In a society when Sunday continues to be the most segregated day of the week, like Philip, am I colorblind? Like Philip, am I willing to show love to all people? Like Philip, am I willing to take the gospel to all people? Like Philip, whenever I look at any person, am I the kind of man who I don't see color? I don't see race. Instead, you know what I, I see? I see a human being. I see a man or a woman who has been made in the image of God. And they're loved by God. And they're loved by Jesus. And they're special. And Jesus died for them. And Jesus wants them to be in heaven with him for eternity. Do I see all people like that? Do I see all white people like that? Do I see all black people like that? Do I see all Hispanic, Asian, Indian people like that? Do I see all poor people like that? Do I see all homosexual and transgender people like that? Do I see people who have criminal backgrounds like that or who may smell bad like that? Or maybe they don't speak English as well as I do or they're from a different culture or society or country than me. Am I 100% sold on all people being loved by God? And they're loved by Jesus and they need the gospel and they need to be part of the church of our Lord. If I don't have a heart that is sold on that 100 percent, then guess what? I'm not like Philip. I'm not like Jesus. I don't have a heart that Jesus wants me to have. Notice in a time when most Jews, they just passed up Samaria. They didn't care about the people of Samaria. They wanted nothing to do with the people of Samaria. In a time like that, Philip had a heart that was complete, completely empty of racism. No racism. No respect of persons. No thinking that these people are better than these people because of their genetics or the color of their skin. Philip loved all people, and we know that because he preached the gospel to all people. That's the kind of heart that Philip had. He had a heart that possessed love for all people, but not only did his heart lead him to loving all people, secondly, we're going to see that his heart drove him to serve God in every circumstance. In every circumstance of life. I want you to go back to Acts chapter 8 
in the first three verses, please, and, and really pay close attention to what the church is going through at this time. Do you see what the church is going through? Notice how this persecution led by Saul of Tarsus against the church, it is so bad, it is so great, it is so intense that Christians in Jerusalem are having their homes broken into and ravished by Jewish authorities. Christian men and Christian women are being taken from their families and thrown in jail. Families are being separated. Families are being forced to, to leave and flee from the city of Jerusalem. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going through something like that? Can you imagine going through something like that here in our country? Can you imagine being persecuted for your faith to such a degree that it goes well beyond someone telling you no whenever you invite them to a gospel meeting? Or it goes well beyond someone calling you a hateful bigot. Or it even goes well beyond you losing your job or being cut from your sports team because of your faith. No, here, these Christians are being thrown in prison. They're going to jail. They're being separated from their families. I mean, an equivalent to us would be us being forced to, to leave Phoenix or leave Arizona. Or maybe we're being forced out of the country. That's the kind of stuff they're going through here. That's the kind of persecution the Jerusalem church is experiencing. And yet, notice how the Bible says that Philip, he continued to work. He's got his family and they're leaving their home and he's still working. Verse five again. The church is scattered, verse four, and Philip goes down from Jerusalem to Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to the people. I want you to drop down to verse number 26 after he's done with the Samaritans. After he's done preaching to the Samaritans, verse 26 says, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and he went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Verse number 35 of the chapter says that after joining the chariot of this man and, and noticing that he was reading from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, as Chad read from this morning, the Bible says then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, from Isaiah 53, he preached Jesus to him. Look at verse 40. Verse 40 says, but Philip found himself at Azotus. This is after baptizing the eunuch. After baptizing him into Christ, he found himself at Azotus and he passed through and he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. What happened to Philip when he went to Caesarea? We'll look at chapter 21, please. In chapter 21, in verse number four, in chapter 21, in verse number four, or drop down to verse seven, forgive me, verse seven. Luke is now talking in the first person here. So he's traveling with the apostle Paul. Keep in mind that this is the man who was at one time going by Saul of Tarsus. This is the same guy who led the great persecution against the church in chapter 8. He's now preaching. He's a Christian. He's spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Luke is traveling with him. Remember, Saul ran Philip out of Jerusalem. He ran Philip and his family out of Jerusalem. And yet, what does this say? Luke says, when we have finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus. And after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea and entering the house of Philip the Evangelist. What a very tense reunion that must have been. You just, you're the reason I had to leave my home. You, kicked, you tried to kill me one time. You were trying to kill me. And he entered the home of Philip. 
who was one of the seven, and we stayed with them. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. Man, the gospel could bring these men together. It can bring anybody together, can't it? Notice how no matter what circumstances Philip found himself in in life, no matter if he was running from Jewish authorities with his family, no matter if he was alone on a desert road, no matter if he found himself in Azotus or Caesarea, Philip, in every circumstance, he's always working. He's always serving God. He's always serving Jesus. He's always doing something in the kingdom of God. He's either serving widows in Acts chapter 6 in Jerusalem, or he's preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 8, or he's showing hospitality even to a man who tried to kill him at one time in Acts 21. Philip is always working. He's always doing kingdom work. And here's the question. What about us? What about me and what about you? While we may not face, while we might not face the same kind of problems and trials that Philip faced 2,000 years ago, we, we still face problems, don't we? we? We still face problems. We face trials. For some of us, we have health trials. For some of us, we have marriage trials, unfaithful kids trials, unfaithful grandkids trials, financial trials, discouragement trials, loved ones who have passed away trials, even forms of persecution trials. We all go through trials in this life. And you know what the easy thing to do when you start facing trials is to do nothing. Do nothing. Wallow in your misery, wallow in your sorrow, wallow in your woe. Maybe put kingdom work off until the storm you're going through passes. That's the easy thing to do when we start going through trials. But from Philip, we see we can't do that. We can't do that. No matter what difficult circumstance we're going through in our lives, Philip teaches us we got to keep going. We got to keep serving God. We got to keep serving Jesus. We got to keep working hard for the Savior who died on the cross for our sins. And so you know what that means? That means that if you got a job right now that you don't really like, maybe you got a boss or some coworkers that are really discouraging you right now. If you got a job right now that you really don't like, you got to keep serving Jesus. You got to serve Jesus on your job. You got to work hard. You got to be an example. You got to still try to find avenues to share the gospel with your co-workers. And if you're married to somebody, if you're married to some, someone right now who's not a Christian. If you're married to somebody right now who, out of all the years you've been married to them, they have never shown any interest in spiritual things or the gospel. If that describes you. You got to be like Philip. You got to keep you got to keep serving Jesus. You got to do what Peter says in first Peter, chapter three. You got to be a model of godliness to your unbelieving spouse. You got to be kind. You got to fulfill your role. You got to keep your vows. You got to do the best you can to win your spouse for the glory of God by your behavior. You got to do that even right now today. And if you're someone here this morning, and maybe your health is not what it once was. 
Maybe you don't feel as strong or energetic as you did at one time. If that describes you, you got to be like Philip. You got to keep working. You got to just do the best you can. Do the best that you can. Be an encourager. Be kind. Be an example of, of optimism and dedication and faithfulness and commitment to worshiping God just like you're doing this morning. Understand that, that just by you being here and you don't feel good, that's encouraging a lot of people. Do the best that you can for the Lord. You know, we all got different Christians we meet in our lives that really inspire us and have an impact on us. You, you have those people. I know you do. And I do as well. Some of those people are in this room. And some of the, those people are in other places that, I, that I've been blessed to work with through the years. I've told you about one particular man that really inspired me and, and really was a great inspiration for me. His name is Wesley Pollard. I've told you about Wesley Pollard, right? Wesley Pollard was one of my elders when I was trained to preach in Beaumont, Texas. He is by far the best soul winner for the Lord I've ever met in my life. He could spark up a conversation with someone about the gospel just like that. It didn't matter if it was the hospital, the bank, anywhere. He could talk with someone about the gospel. He has literally baptized hundreds of people for the glory of God. But I found out recently that he's had some, some health issues, some serious health problems. So much so that he lost a foot. He got one of his feet amputated. And while for many people, something like that may cause them, might cause them to take a little time off from kingdom work, not with Wesley. Not, not with Wesley. I talked to his wife on the phone a few days ago, and you know what she told me? She told me that when he was in the hospital recovering from having his foot cut off, he invited two nurses to church and had Bible studies with them while in the hospital recovering. The man just lost a foot. And he's teaching the gospel from the hospital bed. He can't walk anymore, but he continued to serve the Lord with his Bible knowledge and with his voice, with his mouth. He's serving God. He's doing work. He's serving the Lord even in a difficult circumstance. That's the kind of heart Philip had. Philip's going through all this difficult stuff. But his heart drove him. To continue serving God in every circumstance. In fact, this brings us to the last thing I want to say about his heart this morning. And that is, he had a heart of disciple because it was void of ego. Ego. I want to ask you to go back to Acts chapter 8 one more time, please. And I want you to notice in those verses we read earlier, notice just how successful Philip was in the work he did among the Samaritans. Did you notice that? I mean, in verse number 12, the Bible says that he's preaching about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ to the Samaritans. And you got all these Samaritans being baptized. They're, they're being brought into the kingdom of God. And in verse 13, we see that even the sorcerer, Simon the sorcerer who was among them, he believed the gospel. He's being baptized. Philip is being very successful in his work in Samaria. And yet, look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, now when the apostles... And Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. 
they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them. This is imparting miraculous spiritual gifts. And they were receiving the Holy Spirit. That is, they were receiving gifts, miraculous gifts from the Holy Spirit. What I want you to see here is the focus, the, the shift of focus. You see the shift of focus in the text. There's a shift here. After spending 10 verses, after Luke spends 10 verses telling us about all the work that Philip does among the people of Samaria, here we see that when Peter and John show up, when two apostles show up, the focus shifts here from being on Philip to being on them, to being on the apostles. We go from Philip to apostles. Philip has to step out of the way. Philip has to get out of the way. Philip's work is finished among the Samaritans. Now the apostles are there to equip them for further service unto Jesus. They're going to impart the spiritual gifts to them, lay hands on them. Philip can't do that. Only the apostles can do that. Philip is not an apostle. He cannot impart and transfer miraculous spiritual gifts, and yet it is interesting how here we see he doesn't have a problem with that. He doesn't have a problem with that. He doesn't gripe. He doesn't complain. He doesn't become jealous. He doesn't say to Peter and John, well, I've been here. I'm the one that took the initiative to come here and preach to the Samaritans, and now you guys want to show up and steal my thunder. You guys want to show up and take the credit for my work. Philip doesn't do that. Philip doesn't show competition and pride, and he doesn't fight over who's now in the spotlight. No, all Philip does is he just humbly gets out the way. He's content. He's content with how the Lord has used him in his time in Samaria, whether he's serving widows in Jerusalem in Acts 6, so the apostles could focus on preaching and prayer. Or whether he's evangelizing to the Samaritans or preaching to an Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Or whether he's relocating to Caesarea with his family in Acts chapter 21. In Acts, you never find Philip complaining. You never find him griping. You never find him being bitter. Because he wasn't chosen to be an apostle. But this guy Saul of Tarsus, who tried to kill me at one time, oh, God chooses him. Philip's never jealous about that. All Philip does is serve. He just serves. He just uses his talents and his abilities to do whatever he can in the kingdom of God. He never has pride. He never has an ego. The question is, what about us? Do we have egos? Do we have pride? Are we full of pride? Are we full of a spirit of competition in the kingdom of God? Are we the kind of Christians who we always want to be in the spotlight? We always want to show how smart we think we are or how great we think we are. We always want people to compliment us, praise us, give us some verbal acknowledgement and credit for the work we're doing in the kingdom of God. Do we have that kind of spirit in our hearts? Or like Philip, do we just do the work? Do we just serve? Do we just focus on what God sees and what God is pleased with 
Do we just focus on God getting the glory for the things we're doing and not ourselves? Do we understand that the kingdom of God does not need us, that the kingdom of God is full of talented people that can use different talents and abilities to glorify God? There's enough work for all of us to do. We all have work to do in the kingdom. And because of that, there's no room for ego. There's no room for pride and competition in the church of our Lord. There's a lot more we could say about Philip this morning, but this is what I want you to take home with you. Take this home, that if you read, and I hope you do, if you read Acts 8 every single day this week, you're going to see that while Philip doesn't get as much of attention as Peter and John and the Apostle Paul, he was an incredible disciple. He was an incredible disciple. He had a heart of a true disciple of Jesus. And my dear friends, we can too. I can too. You can too. We all can have hearts that please God like Philip. In fact, if you're not a Christian this morning, developing the kind of heart that Philip had begins with you obeying the gospel. It begins with you obeying the same gospel that Philip preached to the Samaritans. You must be willing to believe in Jesus and submit to his authority in your life. You got to repent of your sins and you had to be baptized in water like he told that Ethiopian eunuch for the remission of your sins. That's how you begin your journey with Jesus or if there is a disciple here and you realize that you have not had the kind of heart that Philip had. Maybe you realize you have not been living the kind of life that Philip had that we can read about in the Bible. What you need to do this morning is repent. Change your heart. Change your life. Ask God to forgive you and he will forgive you because he loves you. And so if there's anyone here this morning who needs to come to the Lord, come to the front right now. We'll help you. Let's stand. Let's sing together.